And open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 6. My GPS unit failed me this week. I uh, had a meeting in Seattle. Had a meeting in Seattle at a place I've only been to once before, over in West Seattle. So I plugged in the address and GPS, and I'm cruising right along, and came to the express lanes, and it was just the right time, and I got in the express lanes, and cruising right along, I think, boy, I'm going to make it, and I'd, I'd kind of cut it close, because I had another stop to make on the way, and pretty soon the phone rang, and my friend Tom Ruhlman said, uh, are you in the express lanes? I said, yeah. He said, where are you at? And I told him about what street I was at. He said, I'm just a couple of miles ahead of you, and it's all jammed up. And, you know, I was already late for the meeting, and I'm the chairman, and, uh, and I called the meeting. So, um, GPS failed me, because the GPS unit system is smart, and it knows when there's traffic, and little, it has a green light, and then a yellow light, and then a red light, and then the screen goes to shades of black, and it says, traffic ahead, delay so many minutes. And then there's a button you can push if you want to find an alternate route. And it'll just take, you know, somehow it knows the way to go. But I'm telling you what, that lady with that real calm voice was sleeping on uh, Tuesday <laughs> because it just said, green light, buddy, you're going, you're going. And so I thought, well, I'm going to have to take matters into my own hands. So you know, we used to live down that way, so I just got off and kind of made my way through Seattle. I had to go through some of the Mercer mess, but I finally got, got clear sailing, and I got, and, and, and the beautiful thing about the GPS is she, she just keeps saying, recalculating, recalculating, <laughs> recalculating. So I knew, I knew she would keep trying to get me there, and I would keep trying to get me there, and sure enough, I got on, the, got on a different road and got to my meeting. Sometimes the GPS unit is wrong and you have to take matters into your own hands. But God is never wrong. He's never wrong even when you think he might be steering you in a direction that's not quite going to work. Sometimes we're tempted with a passage like we're going to read today in Matthew 6 to think, God, you, you don't quite understand my world. But I assure you he does, and that his way is the best, even though it's, it's, it's a tough way at times and challenging. Look at Matthew 6, verse 19, please. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore that light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or money. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? 
Which one of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not clothed like one of these. If so, God... Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Sometimes when we see a passage like this, and and don't worry, I'm not going to preach the whole thing today. (laughs) I know that's what you're thinking. We see a passage like this, and our first thought is there are multiple topics here. and, And that's only partially true. There's really one topic that's addressed by several, uh, several, um, several illustrations, several examples. And the primary principle that Jesus wants us to grasp in this passage, oh, I I'm, I'm missed one out there. You'll have to write this one down. The primary principle that Jesus wants us to grasp in this passage is this. Authentic Christians accumulate spiritual treasure. Authentic Christians accumulate spiritual treasure. The theme is introduced in verse 19, and all the rest of the passage, you might just call it a little sermon. And there are points, and there are illustrations, and so on to go through, but it all dovetails together under this one theme. Authentic Christians accumulate spiritual treasure. Now, in order to understand this, though, I want to to give you a preface to the sermon, which is several other truths from God's Word pulled together that are going to lay a little bit of a foundation. You you might say we want to to just get a snapshot of of the truth from the New Testament, because Jesus is going to hone in on a point. And sometimes when we hone in on one point, we have questions about all the other points. And so I just want to touch on those first. And so the preface to this message is this. First of all, poverty is not a virtue and wealth is not a sin. I'm for being rich. Under certain circumstances. And the reason I say this is because there are certain elements of Christianity and every so often there's a new thought pattern introduced at which people want to make those who are wealthy feel guilty or make those who are poor into some kind of saints be, by virtue of their poorness, and that is not what the Scripture says. The Scripture does not condemn wealth, neither does it extol virtue. And, and here's a passage that would be um, an example of that. Command those who are rich in this present age, what? To give away everything they have? No doesn't say that. It says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant. There's obviously a temptation with money, which is arrogance, you know. It's sort of the whole success principle in our culture. You know, you you can't argue with success. Have you ever heard that phrase? It's like, whatever, 
If you're successful, you're an expert. And so if you've got a lot of money, you know, you look at somebody and say, well, how big's your bank account? As though you're stupid and I'm smart. He said, no, don't be haughty. Don't be arrogant. Don't trust in uncertain riches. We'll see that in just a minute, but the temptation of money is to trust in it. Job security is what people uh, protest for and demand when the contract is up for negotiation. Don't trust in uncertain riches, but trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good. In other words, take your money and do good. Be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. It's very similar, almost parallel to what Jesus is saying. Lay up treasure in heaven. And so wealth is not, wealth is not inherently sinful. Um, it's not inherently righteous. It is either used in ways that are sinful or righteous. Now, a second very important point, though, is this. Wealth is never to be a goal. I know all of you who have been to those sales trainings, they talk about setting a goal and how much money you're going to make and how many, how many big buildings you're going to build and all this stuff. Wealth is never to be a goal for the Christian. Wealth is not to be a goal because those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. The, if, if making money is your goal, there is great temptation along with that. And of course, the, the big point that Jesus makes is don't trust in something that's uncertain. Um, or, uh, excuse me, I should finish this part here too. The love of money is a root, not the root, but a root of all kinds of evil. And uh, certainly we see that every day in the papers, the stories about people. But the temptation of wealth is trusting in it. Command those who are rich not to trust in uncertain riches. Why should you not trust in money? Why should you not seek money as a means of security? Oh, and I've left another passage off of... I. In too big of a hurry. Let me read the passage to you from James chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast... In your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. In other words, our times are in God's hands. No matter how great you are at what you do, no matter how great the market forces are around you, your times are in God's hands. What did we say a few years ago? Can't lose on real estate. Right? I had a friend who had a waterfront condo. He said, they aren't making any more of this. Talking about the waterfront and places to build houses on the waterfront. Yeah, you can still lose money on a waterfront condo. You can lose money doing almost anything. And so the temptation is to trust in it. And, and, and God says, do not pursue wealth. Do not trust in wealth. Another important point is this. Accumulating wealth for the future is not a sin. It's not wrong to 
to uh, lay money ahead and, and so on. Great passage from Proverbs says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. The, the hard truth is this, sometimes poverty is simply the result of laziness. Now, I'm not condemning all poor people, don't get me wrong, but God says some people are poor because they've been, they've been folding the hands and slumbering too much. Accumulating wealth for the future is not a sin. In fact, God talks about working so that you not only have what is good, but you have something to share who him, with him who has need. In other words, you make money and you accumulate it to support yourself, but also you can help other people. And, and also, certainly a passage like 1 Timothy 5, which says we need to provide for our own. Other reference in 1 Timothy says that the, that the family members of somebody, like a widow, ought to take care of her first before the church does. In other words, there's a responsibility. And so it's not wrong to accumulate wealth and to use it in a godly way. And yet we still don't want to trust in money. Enjoying material things is righteous. What's interesting is God says it's the false teacher who says you ought to deprive yourself of some of the pleasures of life. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. In other words, these were people who at least called themselves Christians, and they've walked away from true Christianity, and they give heed to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So what's the content of this false teaching? Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods. God calls that heresy. Those people who would say it's more spiritual to be celibate, that is to not marry, it's, it's a more spiritual condition, are wrong. Now God does give, according to 1 Corinthians 7, he does enable some people to stay single for the purpose of devoting themselves to God's service. That is a special ability from God. But as a general rule, it is not more spiritual to stay away from marriage. Neither is it spiritual to say, well, I don't eat these foods or those foods, and I'm only this way and that way and the other. God says, no, that is not more spiritual. That is a doctrine which is passed around by a false Christian. Here is what God says. Every creature of good is God, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. Now, if you're a vegetarian or a vegan here today, Lord bless you. I'll, en I'll enjoy my burger this afternoon. There's nothing wrong with making a choice to be a vegetarian or a vegan. Some people do it for, for healthy reasons. But do not convince yourself that it is more spiritual. Yes, Adam and Eve were vegetarians. But, uh, but uh, um, oh, the guy with the ark, Noah. Noah. <laughs> You all get an A for church today, your Bible knowledge. I, I got news for you. Where, where, where's the elders? I got news for you. I, I turned 57 a couple days ago. <laughs> You're going to have to help me out. 
they had to hold up Moses' hands. You're going to have to hold up my mind. <laughs> God told Noah, all of the animals are given to you for food. There was a fundamental shift that God made at that point. Now, that doesn't mean you have to eat meat to be godly. But the point is this. God has put the world here, and what, what uh, I believe uh, Solomon from the book of Ecclesiastes might refer to as the normal pleasures of life. Eating, drinking, sleeping after a hard day's work. You know, there were people, so-called spiritual leaders, years ago who would stay awake and stay awake and stay awake, and somehow they're going to deprive themselves to be more godly. And then they had visions. Do you know, sleep deprivation will give you visions, but it's not good, and it's not godly. God has given us richly all things to enjoy, and we ought to enjoy them. Now, having said that, and in fact that references here, 1 Corinthians 6, 17. Having said that, that is not a license to live for the flesh. These are preface, these are preface statements, because when we come to 1 Corinthians 6, Christ is going to really focus our activity and, and while it is acceptable and normal to enjoy the, the, the normal pleasures of life, there is a greater focus that Christ wants to bring to our life. So let's get back to Matthew six nineteen now. And he says, Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. And the, again, the principle that Jesus wants us to learn here is this. Authentic, authentic Christians accumulate spiritual treasure. Now, much of this passage is, is supporting this in terms of encouragement, but the action point really comes in verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, all the stuff around you will be added. When we put that verse 33 together with verses 19 through 20, we understand that God says, is your life focused on accumulating spiritual treasure? You see, while it's okay to enjoy a steak dinner, God says, don't orient your life to get the steak dinner. While it's okay to enjoy a, a husband or a wife or children as God might bless, he says, don't orient your life toward the stuff of this life. Orient your activity toward the stuff of the next life. Verse 33 breaks this eternal treasure into two categories. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What is the righteousness of God talking about? It's talking about submission to Christ. Seek the, the righteousness of Christ. Righteous living. And what does it mean to seek the kingdom? It means service to Christ. It means doing God's kingdom work or God's work. The, the kingdom of God is a reference here to the fact that God does rule over all. And we are either functioning in his kingdom or we're functioning in the kingdom of Satan. And the great truth of salvation is when we accept Christ, God delivers us out of the control of Satan and under the, puts us under the control of Christ. Authentic Christians accumulate spiritual treasure by submitting to Christ in their own personal righteousness. 
After we've believed in Christ, we come to this truth that we need to grapple with. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? One of the words that refers to salvation is redemption. Redemption. Redemption is when you get something back. Probably our most common illustration of it today would be a pawn shop. You go to a pawn shop and you say, uh, here's, my, uh, here's my expensive item. And the guy says, I will loan you $100. And so then you go back at the appointed time and you redeem the item. You give him money, he gives you back the item. God says that when we were saved, when, we, when, when Christ died on the cross, he paid the bill for our sin. Now it becomes effective to us when we believe in Christ. And Christ comes along and takes us out of the clutches of Satan, out of his dark kingdom, and delivers us into the kingdom of his glorious light. And so we are freed. But the byproduct of that is, Christian, God owns us. Now that doesn't sit well with Americans. God, I don't want to be owned by any, I am my own man, my own woman. No, the, the reality is you're either Satan's man or God's man. You're either Satan's woman or God's woman. And so when you believe in Christ, you are delivered from the control of Satan, which tears you down. You're put under the control of God, which builds you up. But you need to understand God owns you and he has a claim on you. And he says, you were bought at a price. That's why one of the reasons we have this cross here to remind us of the price of salvation. It was tremendously expensive. That's why we have the Lord's Supper. So we will think about the price of our salvation. We will remember what Christ went through. You were bought with a price. Therefore, you have a responsibility. Glorify God in your body. That's what he means when he said you should orient your life to seek the righteousness of Christ. According to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, God in this book has told us everything we know to, leave, to live a righteous life. It's all in here. It's all in here. And according to what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, we need to take it seriously. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat, the seat of evaluation of Christ, that each may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. This is not a judgment to see if we get to go to heaven. That judgment is over when we believe in Christ. Our sin is removed. The righteousness of Christ is implanted. But then as a believer, we have the opportunity to use our life for God. We also have the opportunity to be sinful, to be selfish. And so we have choices to make day by day by day. And what Jesus is advocating in Matthew 6 is choose that which honors me. In your personal righteousness, first and foremost. And he says, someday at the end of your life, you will stand before God and there will be an evaluation. He will look at your life and say, which was righteous and which wasn't. And thankfully, what God's going to do is reward us for the righteous, not criticize us for the sinful. 
I graduated from my master's degree a week ago in abstentia. Yeah. <laughs> so did Deborah Johnson. She graduated in presence in, uh, at her school. And uh, a friend of mine who knew somebody else who was graduating from that school, school's in Pennsylvania, and uh, he knew, he saw the program online, so he sent me a link, said, here's the program from the graduation. So I read all through there, you know, looking for my own name, sure enough, there's my name. But next to some of the people's names, there were these words, cum laude or summa cum laude. Now that's Latin for with honor or with great honor. But next to my name, it just said, thank the Lottie. <laughs> because I missed the cum laude by a couple of points here and a couple of points there. I got mostly A's, but I got a C in one class because I turned everything in late because I didn't understand. Excuse, excuse, you've heard it from your high schoolers over and over. If I'd have worked harder and thought harder and tried harder, I'd have graduated cum laude or summa cum laude. Now we know that humanly, that maybe that matters, maybe it doesn't. But you're going to have a graduation day someday in heaven. And what are the words going to say next to your name? You know, 1 Corinthians 3 says some people are going to graduate cum fire. You know, it literally says some are going to make it in so as by fire. In other words, you're going to get there. There's not going to be any recognition except, well, you made it. And boy, I, I don't want that kind of a certificate. Jesus said, what's the orientation of your life? Is it oriented toward the stuff of this life or the stuff of heaven? First of all, we've got to orient our life toward heaven personally, and then in terms of how we serve God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What is the kingdom of God? It's the work of God in the world. Uh, Peter, Peter says this in a kind of eloquent way. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anybody speaks, let him speak as though he's speaking the oracles or the very words of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. When Peter speaks about the gift that we have received, he's not talking about money. He's not talking about talents we might have like music. He's talking about a spiritual gift that we receive from God when we accept Christ as our Savior. He not only takes away our sin and gives us the righteousness of Christ, he gives us a supernatural ability to serve him. Here's one list of those abilities. For as we have many members, many people in the body of Christ, but all the members don't have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having then gifts that differ according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, serving, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts or, or challenges people to do the right thing in exhortation, he who gives, there is a supernatural gift of giving. We're all supposed to give, but some people have an extra ability to do that. 
Let him do it with liberality. He who leads, who's an elder, that sort of thing, with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. That's just some example of the gifts that God gives us. But here's the point. Every Christian can do something significant in God's work. Now, it might be significant behind the scenes, or it might be significant here on the platform or anywhere in between, but it's significant to God, and God says you can do it for him. You can build the work of God. You can make disciples. You can be part of that process. You can do things that last for eternity. And this, too, like our own righteousness, is both an opportunity and a responsibility because God will review how we have served him. No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, you've been saved. Now, you're going to build on it. You're going to do things for God with gold, silver, precious stones or wood, hay, straw. Each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. There's coming a day when we will be evaluated not only for how we lived for Christ, but how we served. There's no age limit on serving the Lord. I'm blessed to see young people doing real ministry. Uh, I saw it again today. Uh, Grace, who's, are, are you, where are you? Are you 18 yet? Yeah. yeah, just turned 18. Playing the piano. We got young guys taking the offering. We got uh, somebody keeping an eye on the door there and we got people serving downstairs, I'm sure, right now. If you're under age 18, 18 and under, and you serve in the church ministry, would you stand up right now? If you've done something in the church ministry, would you stand up? Go ahead, stand up. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you. I, I want you to know, young people, if, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, if you are sincerely serving for the Lord's glory, you're laying up treasure in heaven. Most of you probably don't have much of a bank account yet, but you can have a heavenly bank account. And there is something for everyone to do in the work of God, no matter what age they are. And it's not just here in this building, it, it, it's in our workplace, it's in our school, it's in Thailand, it's in Brazil or Ghana or Japan or wherever the Lord might lead you to your club, to your organization, wherever it is. The work of God is wherever we are. Because God, God knows that when we go to work in the morning, it's not just about bringing home a paycheck. He's able to work in us and through us while we're doing a job. If we go to school, it's not just about education. He's able to work in us and through us while we're going to school or while we're going to uh, some service organization or whatever it might be. The work of God is wherever we are, and we have the opportunity to accumulate spiritual treasure by participating in God's work. Well, the big point that Jesus is making here is, is this, that there needs to be a priority on accumulating spiritual treasure. We need to make this the priority of our life. Look again at verse 33. Seek first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all this other stuff of life will be added to you. 
Jesus is calling those who would be his followers to make obeying him and serving him their top priority in life. Now I think, is Ben actually doing the wiring at camp today? Ben is the only guy excused from church today because he's actually wiring, doing electrical work at Camp Gilead today. (laughs) But he said something about going to Africa to do wiring um, on the new hospital that's being built in Togo that, that just was was right on. He, he said, the first day we're there, we're getting ready to go to work, and the construction manager brings everybody together. We're going to have a construction meeting. And, and we all sit down, and he said, I expected him to say, well, now we're going to do this first, then we're going to do that, then we're going to do this, and this, and kind of lay out the construction plan for the day. But the guy says, now the first thing we're going to do is make Jesus look good. In other words, we're not just building a hospital. We're working with some nationals here who we are paying to work on the building, and they do not believe in Christ. Now, what's more important, the buildings of this, of this, uh, the walls of this building or their salvation? And so as we go out to do our work, we need to be aware God is at work here. How am I living? How am I serving? What is my priority Just putting wire in the wall or helping this guy see Christ. That's what it means to put a priority on accumulating spiritual treasure. In a list of things to do, number one gets done. What is the priority list? What is the to-do list of your life? Jesus is saying the to-do list of your life should say number one, Honor God in my character and in my service. Whatever I'm doing, wherever I'm going, that's number one. He's calling those who would be his followers to make obeying him and serving him the top priority in life. Jesus wants us to see, as wealth comes into the picture, he says, I want you to see wealth and possessions as a means to accomplishing his work. We said earlier there's nothing wrong with accumulating wealth on, the, on, on this planet, you know, preparing for retirement or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. But are you accumulating wealth and preparing for retirement so that when you get there, you can turn around and say, I did mine, I'm done. And I'm going to do whatever pleases me the rest of my days. Does that sound like what Jesus was talking about? Are we looking forward to retirement saying, you know, someday I'm going to be self-funded. Maybe not very well, but I'm going to be self-funded. And I can do whatever I want in the Lord's work. There will be no time constraints on me. Now, having said that, I understand that most people who retire say they're busier than they ever were. And they don't know how they had time to work. You know, and maybe someday I'll understand that experientially. But the point is, what's your goal? What's your priority? What are you aiming for? Is God's work first in the use of your stuff, your house, your money, your time, your car, your clothes? your retirement funds, your health care, 
God doesn't, doesn't call us to, to deprive ourselves in the sense of, of saying, if, as long as I'm deprived, I must be spiritual. What he calls us to is to use our stuff for him at whatever level we happen to be living. God wants you, through living for him, to provide treasure in heaven. God wants us to provide for ourselves, but is that all our life is about? We could help fund Catherine's trip to Thailand and have a share. I, I suspect, okay, and I'll get you ready for this in case you're not. I don't expect her to come home talking about she's led people to the Lord. If you do, Lord bless you. Where are you at, Catherine? She's probably serving somewhere in children's church today. There you go. I, you know why I don't expect that? Because Thailand's not the place where people accept the Lord left and right, one, two, three, four, all the time. But I expect that someday, some of the people she helps build relationship with will get connected to our ministry, and someday some of them will come to Christ. And she'll get credit for it. And those of us who contribute to her, to her trip will get credit for it. We will get treasure in heaven! <laughs> Because of what other people did. Because we were willing to say, you know what, I can do without this or that because I want to invest in God's work. We're going to be talking about a debt retirement campaign uh, in this year. We're going, to, we're going to launch this. Now, we're not launching it just to get rid of our debt. That's a good thing. But we're launching it because we want to do more work with the money that you're giving every month directly for God's work. And you could help participate in that. When God brings needs to your mind day by day as you're walking through life, God will bring somebody around and, and you'll think, there, there's a need right there. And that's the Holy Spirit going, do something about that. And right at that moment you think, yes, but this over here is what I really want to do. And that's when the words of Jesus need to come to your mind. Are you laying up treasure in heaven? Are you laying up treasure on earth? Now the cool thing that is here is this. There's a promise. There's a promise with this, with this uh, call to sacrifice. I mean, verse 19 through 20 and verse 33 are, are a call to sacrifice. Will you say no to yourself and yes to the work of God? But verse 33 is also a promise. And we're going to look at more promises next week in regard to worry and peace and whatnot. But the promise in verse 33 is, if you will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. You see, God could have written these verses that we just read and stopped there and said, you owe me your eternal soul, now get busy for me. And he would have been completely justified in that. But he didn't. He said, look, if you will make me first in your life, I will care for you. All these things will be added to you. What is it that God promises to give us? If you read this passage a few times, you'll, you'll come up with this summary. God promises to meet the necessities of our life. He's not asking us to be destitute. In fact, really, he, he, has, he goes beyond those necessities in this promise here. 
This is the passage right after Jesus had told the rich man, you need to sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Now, we learn in, in all of the Gospels, putting them together, that this rich man had a problem. That was he trusted in riches. And that's why God said, you need to sell it and give it to me. He didn't say that to everybody. But after he said that, Peter says, hey, we've left all and we're following you. There's an implied question. The question is, what do we get? And Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left a house or brothers or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel, that's the work of God, who shall not receive a hundredfold, a hundred times return on investment now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Now, don't worry. I have, I have not become one of those guys on TV who said, now you just give me 10 bucks today and you're going to get 100 back next week. Because I don't believe that's what God promises. But I do believe there is a broad promise because that broad promise is is reiterated in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly nor of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. God says, look, if you will put me first, I will take care of you. And I will not just take care of you at the minimum necessarily. I will give you back more so that you can do it again. The error, the biggest error of those guys on TV is people get the idea, I want stuff. So I'm going to give to God so I can get some stuff. And it's just a technique to, to manipulate God. Does that sound like what Jesus is talking about? Jesus says, look, put me first. Put my work first. Put my righteousness first. And I'm telling you, I will take care of you. I, and I won't just take care of you on a minimal level. I will take care of you. Our problem in America is we define the necessities of life at the poverty line, which is $40,000 or something like that. I mean, it's it, you're like, wow, you know, I'm only making thirty-eight five. Come on, God, what's wrong? See, we, we, we've got a totally skewed idea of what, of what the necessities of life are about. But God promises to care for us if we put him first. I used to hear my parents say, you can't outgive God and I didn't really grasp what it meant until I got faithful at giving. And I could tell you story after story about how God has provided for us. Could, could I just share one that, that really relates to this passage here? Because he talks about letting go of your family. And when you choose to go in the, when you, when you follow God's call to the ministry, you don't get to choose where you live. 
And the first place that God took us to was, was to Everson, to what's called Christ Fellowship now. And my folks lived in Marysville, and Sue's folks lived in Wenatchee. And, and you know that typically when you have a baby, family comes around and helps out. My sister lives in Ohio. Okay? Her sister lived in, uh, I guess, Wenatchee or Oregon then. Oregon then. So who's going to help us out? Who's going to help you out when you have two babies? Twins. You know, twice as much work, because I'm not going to do it. You're on your own there, girl. <laughs> That's not far off the truth. I wasn't that great of a father in those, in those respects. You know who's going to help you out? Your church is going to help you out. And they aren't going to help you out because you asked. They're going to help you out because God put it in their heart. And they gave us a shower and gave us six months worth of paper diapers. And, and stuff upon stuff upon stuff. Uh, you know, our own family couldn't have done that, what they did for us. Ladies from the church came over every day, Tuesday through Friday, from 9 to noon, to help her out for like six months. Family's not going to do that. If God calls you to give something up, what Jesus is saying is, don't worry about it. It's going to be great for you. And I could just give you that testimony over and over and over. And I could also talk about the part with tribulations. I just want to encourage you today in any way that I can to trust God. You see, I'm not preaching on giving today because we're, or, or, or giving and serving and so on. We're not in a crisis in our church. God has blessed us financially. We're in great shape financially as a church. I'm not preaching on this just because Jesus said it and we ought to preach all of his truth. I'm preaching on this today because this is exciting stuff. Putting God first and watching him work is the life of faith. And it's when the Christian life switches from being a duty to being an adventure. I turned on uh, um, Stephen Curtis Chapman on a CD in my office this week, and he was singing about the great adventure. And I, and I thought... I, I think the song must just be his testimony. He was reading the word and he went, there is great stuff for us to do. Let's saddle up our horses and get into this great adventure. You can hang on to your stuff and live kind of a meager life and be secure to a certain extent or you can let go of your stuff, invest in God's work, use your stuff for God, use your time for God, and know the excitement and joy of living by faith and seeing God work. Every so often, God brings me an opportunity, and this hasn't happened in a long time. Um, used to happen more often uh, when we were more penniless. But he, used, he, he will bring me an opportunity to make some money in some kind of physical uh, endeavor, you know, some painting or some construction or in this case, I was asked by somebody to help them upgrade their sound system in their business. And so I thought, well, sure. And I came home and told Sue about it, and she goes, well, there must be a mission trip in your future. You're going to make some money, you know, some extra money. 
I said, no, there's no mission trip. And, uh, but I thought, you know, we're replacing the windows in our house uh, one or two at a time, and well, there I can put a couple more windows in, or, you know, there's always a use for some extra money. And I intended to give a portion of it to the Lord, as, as I always do from uh, whatever income the Lord gives us. But last week I was at a meeting where this, this meeting I went to in Seattle where one of the things that we talked about was a pastor who has a special medical need. And immediately I thought, oh, our benevolent fund at church should give him some money. And I talked to the elders and they said, nah, it's for our church. And that's when the Lord said, you give him some money. I kind of went, yeah, I guess I could give that money to him. And then I, I just thought, that's why God gave me that job, just out of the blue. And here's an amount I can just give it to him, send it on. One of the things that my mom taught me well was listen to that still small voice of God. So I'm going to write that check. And I'm not usually in a position to give like this. So I'm excited to bless my brother and see what God does. I, I can tell you this in the past. When I have stepped down on faith, God has stepped in. And it's the coolest thing. It's better than buying a couple of windows for your house. And I just want to challenge you today to not miss out on the faith life. Whether it's your time, your stuff, your house, your money, whatever it is, don't be afraid to give to God because what he does in you and through you will be far better than anything you could do and you're going to accumulate treasure in heaven. Heavenly Father, help us. Father, I give you glory today for what you have done. I give you the glory for just being able to even give that money away. And I give you the glory for our church, for our spirit of faith here, to give to missionaries, to send our people to other lands. And I give you glory for the spirit of service that our people have to give their time in, in the doing of ministry here in the church and outside the church. And Father, I, I'm most, uh, most desiring today that that you would touch the heart of those who haven't yet learned the joy of building up treasure in heaven. I pray that you would touch their hearts and show them the excitement of giving to you and watching you take care of them. Father, I pray that this will be a church that builds up treasure in heaven, that we just don't build some kind of kingdom for ourselves here. I pray that you'll show us what that means and how to do it. I pray that you will honor yourself as we try to live for you. I pray in Christ's name, amen.